You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash nygbc. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book that you can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Because in our youth, we stole a Rachel Maddow book from an old gypsy woman. (laughs) My name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, the only man in his 20s who's too old for this shit. (laughs) Benedict, have you read The Watchmen yet? No, I read like the first page. I knew the answer was going to be no. I read the first page and I was like, this is too complicated formatically. So then I was like... Are you kidding me? Yeah, I am kidding. I, I, just, I gave I'm you lazy. that book two months ago. Too too lazy to sit and read a graphic novel. Yeah. I gave you that two months no, ago. Okay, but it's and I not expected just maybe Kevin. you would have at least cracked it open and gotten through the first book by now. If it was just reading, it would be fine. Uh-huh. But it's not because it's way cleverer than that. So I have to think about shit while I read it because I know that like, oh, well, the fifth panel on page 17 calls to mind the 17th panel on page five. So let me tell you, you, let me tell you, if you're doing that while reading a graphic novel or a comic book, you're getting way too deep in. You're reading a graphic novel like it's Shakespeare. Like you're trying to find all the imaginary hidden things that every English teacher is convinced is inside of Shakespeare. They are. But it's really probably just shit they've picked out. Okay, there's a lot of hidden stuff in Shakespeare. There's a lot. I get that because he wrote jokes. He wrote jokes for the people standing in the pit that the upper class people would overlook. But when I take an English class in college, and my professor is convinced that every single line has hidden meaning and analogy, and it's all a matter... That's too much. That's too much for any it's person who is cranking line. out those plays on the schedule that Shakespeare was to do all... Yeah. Yes, and that's what I'm saying. It's not every No, but I'm line. saying you have to read it as if it is every line in order to pick it up when it is there because if you if you're like oh there can't be any hidden meaning in this line then if you're not looking for it then you're never going to find it are you honestly here's my here's my notes for reading uh for reading that book for reading Watchmen. and it, it, our listeners we have new listeners who don't know me from the old show i read a lot of comic books too many i am a grown say. man who loves comic books but Watchmen is a step beyond. Well, but it's that's one of the what I'm saying. The only excuse for that is that it's actually way cleverer than if you read it on a deeper level than just looking at the pretty pictures, which is what you're telling hey, me to do. Hey, Ta-Nehisi Coates' run on Black Panther was epic. Yeah, okay? I'm not saying it wasn't. Fantastic. I'm saying I'm trying to imbue it with deeper meaning. And, and you're like, America. no, His just look Captain at the America pictures. Well, I'm not saying... Okay, here's my, here's my advice for reading the Watchmen in particular, right? Read it once through... Just looking at the pretty, pretty pictures and reading the dialogue. Okay. Okay. And you'll there are points where it's broken up by actual pages full of text that are fake books and things like that. Okay. Just read it once through, 
And then if you want to go deeper than that, you can read back through, and now you know what you're looking for. Okay, that's what I'll tell okay. you. Just read the damn thing. I've been trying to get you to read well, that for to be so fair, long. A lot of my reading time <laughs> that you have, I, I have allotted <laughs> to things that you were getting me to read has gone to this shit. So that's where we are. Yes, this is true. I'd quite this happily do a Watchmen course. review podcast. That would be far preferable. <laughs> oh, you know what? Maybe for patrons. Here's what I'll do. For patrons, we will figure this out. Uh, over at patreon.com forward slash nygbc because we have bonus content we're doing just on, just for patrons. And, right, of course, we have some things lined up we have to do first, but eventually we're not going to have a book to do for patrons. So I'll have to come up with something. And maybe we'll make Benedict read a comic book. I will find the weirdest, most out-there comic books or manga and make Benedict read them and just try and explain the plot to us. I think maybe... <laughs> That's what we can do over on the patron-only bonus episode. That sounds terrible. That sounds like a good idea to me. It sounds like a terrible idea. But speaking idea. of patron-only, uh, if you want to become a patron, run over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. For as little as $2 a month, you can support the show, get shout-outs, get bonus material, all that cool stuff. It's all written down there. Go check it out. And also, by now, you may have noticed, we're up on iTunes, which hasn't been the case uh, for the first two episodes. For the first week, they were actually available because they were on Google first for some strange reason, uh, but not on iTunes. It took us almost a week to get onto iTunes, just long wait times. But now, you're hearing us, we're available, and, uh, and we're really excited to be here. So, please, please, please go into the iTunes podcast app. Uh, rate and review the show. That really helps bump us up in the rankings and everything helps new people find the show. So please leave us a five-star review. Leave us a review uh, and that'll be fantastic for us. But with that out of the way, why don't we get into this week's chapter of Triggered by Donald Trump Jr., who is what happens when a potato clock gains sentience. Benedict, <laughs> what chapter did we read this week? Well, today... Or this week, very slowly, over the course of several increments, because I can't read more than two pages at a time, we read Chapter 4, Class Warfare, which is pretty much what happens when a Donald Trump Twitter thread gets a book deal. It very much is. It very much is. Now, my alternate chat I actually wrote two alternate chapter titles for this chapter. One of them was, hey, I might be rich, but I wear camo and go hunting, <laughs> which is in its entirety the point of this that chapter. That is, you just saved us 20 pages. <laughs> All right, what's your And other my other one was, I'm not a class, you're a class. Mm, okay, I'd go with the first one. I the, okay. So the actual chapter title is Class Warfare, and my chapter title is Class for Warfare, parentheses, on the poor. <laughs> So. I thought you were going to go with, like, class art of warfare or something like that. <laughs> uh, as we know, the, the uh, perennial book of douchebags everywhere. So we start <laughs> off this chapter with tales of Donald Trump Jr. growing up in Fifth Avenue with his dad and not getting to play catch, which was... This, it, so a it explains so it's much. So funny, right? About this book, <laughs> it explains so much. There, there are so know, many in UK, moments in this chapter. Sorry, there are so many moments in this chapter where I'm like, "What's the next step? Take the next step. Do it. Do it. Go. You're so close." <laughs> we'll get to. I mean, we'll the get rest, to one of my the, favorite. Ones. I mean, also in this chapter, it's a collection of men who probably touched DJT in the hot knot spot when he was a child. Yeah. Uh, that's the other thing we learn about in this chapter. But 
I'm wondering, in the UK, do you have that same stereotype or that same uh, cliche about dad playing catch with his son? No, is there that, no, that ba- for soccer? baseball isn't a thing, and soccer's like no dip, old, old men's knees. Like, of, not even of, like with cricket or no, rugby or really. something. Generally, like my, you don't toss the ball around no, with dad. I guess kind of yeah. If he was home from work in time, like. Yo, now you're just I, writing a sad I short story own, here yeah, on no. the show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was actually, never home I, in time to play with I, me. I grew up kicking a soccer ball against a wall and chasing it myself, but that's <laughs> that's a separate matter. Uh, no, people, all, just, you didn't even have friends to play well, soccer that, with. Oh, another, now it's getting more yeah, sad. That's another issue. That explains so much about you. Yeah, I didn't have friends. Else. I had to cultivate a personality instead. Um, the so we <laughs> sorry. so we learn in this chat. Yeah, I'm just I'm just now I'm I'm I'm, call, I'm texting your wife. Give Benedict a hug, <laughs> please. Uh, I've just destroyed his yeah, psyche live okay. on the air. Anyway, it's really bad. Listen, old men's knees in the UK are too far gone to play any sports <laughs> with their kids, and we don't. You know, you have to wait ages for knee replacement surgery on the NHS. Uh, That's yep, a joke. Yep. The NHS is amazing. Please, you know. Yes. I was I was going to say it's a British diet joke. Uh, yeah, it could be. Yeah, we don't get enough nasty sausages and beans. That's true. We do have sausages and beans. That's all I know. They're about. great. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Anyway, with the boring book. <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I said this before the show, but so much of the editing I did on the first two shows was you and I talking off the air, going, "God, there's nothing to fucking talk about in this chapter." <laughs> So it's just you and me going, oh, God, can we make fun of this? Is this fucking, is this funny? Is this, is there anything we're talking about in this five pages? And the honest truth is no, there's really nothing to talk about in this chapter, but we do it anyways for you, dear listener. But we start off this chapter, like I said, talking about Donnie Jr. and his dad's relationship. And he talks about, he talks about how as a child and during his weekends and summer vacations, his dad would take him and his brother and sister out to job sites and letting them walk around in dangerous areas with heavy equipment. Yeah, it's weird, too, because he's like, oh, yeah, he could spot... You know, like, when people write parodies of, like, he could spot how big a cabinet was from ten paces. Like, what? Literally, that's the quote. He's like, he has an incredible attention to detail, from the quality of cement to how many dishes cabinets will hold to the depth of a sand trap. (laughs) Never letting us forget that Donald Trump's real love is golf. That is yes. the, the main point. Look, he has an amazing ability to categorize things into either great or not great. And if that's not an attention to detail, I don't know what is. Uh, but he says immediately after what you just quoted that he had he could figure out how to do the best job at the lowest cost. And I don't know about the best job part there, but certainly the lowest cost by screwing subcontractors yeah. out of the, what they Th- were owed. There is a lot of evidence We know for Donald this. Trump is a genius at that. Yeah, there's a lot of evidence for this. So the rest of these, because again, I have to skip up over so much here because there's just nothing worth talking about, right? He tries to lay the case out for why he's really a blue-collar guy, right? Because when he was eight years old, he was out on the construction site, and he got to hang out and swing a hammer and this and that and the other and hardy-hard, down-home, good-time fun. But he brings up here, he says, I always said that Eric and I were the only sons of billionaires who could drive D10 Caterpillars and run chainsaws. And we will learn later in this chapter that the D10 is the only tractor he can name. Yep. Because it's the he only brings it up one again. he keeps bringing up. Talks about parallel parking in Manhattan, you, which I'm not sure anyone has ever had to do. Yes. And I guarantee you, as myself, right, a guy who spent five years as a tractor mechanic, that's what I did for a living, for listeners who don't know my backstory, he does not know how to drive a fucking D10. 
okay? He got to sit on the lap of an operating engineer and who showed him what buttons to push and what levers to handle to get it, you know, across the yard a couple of times. Yeah. That's about the extent of Donald Trump Jr.'s experience driving Caterpillars around. That's it. Yeah. I guarantee it. So, yeah, it, it's very weird. And my favorite thing in this opening bit of the chapter is, and this has happened a few times, actually, he uh, he paraphrases Ronald Reagan, and he keeps oh, paraphrasing people. This is like the third or fourth time he's paraphrased someone instead of. And they're really bad paraphrases. They are, but first, so he says to paraphrase Ronald Reagan, it's important when you're spending other people's money to talk about saving money, basically. But so there are two reasons I can see for this. One is that he's paraphrasing because none of his heroes actually agree with him. And he's paraphrasing because he can't get their actual quote to fit into what he's trying to say. The second reason is he's too lazy to go and look up the actual quote. Because I have done this as a writer myself. I've been like, I know Descartes said something like this. So I'm just going to, instead of going to Google and do it. To paraphrase Descartes, I kind of know what it is, so I guess I must be. You know, like that. To know. paraphrase Jean-Paul Sartre, hell is people, right? <laughs> hell is hell is all the people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we get an introduction here to a couple of characters. I, I think who will you'll never actually find it's to paraphrase Jean-Paul Sartre. Imagine all the people. That's the actual. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> that was a great joke. I love that. Uh, so we get introductions here to a couple of characters who will never come back, who apparently had a, a huge impact impact on Donnie Jr.'s life. Oh, this life. is this some is mafia shit. This is some absolute yes, mafia Not is. accusing either of these two specifically of being in the mafia, but one of these you backstories... You don't have to, I will. I will <laughs> accuse Vinny Stelio of being in the mafia, because yeah. I don't care if you are... If his entire career was working for nonprofits. that name is a mafia name. <laughs> There is no other job you are equipped for with that name besides being a made man. Yeah, That's it. Is, it. it is it extremely is mafia backstory of Vinny Stelio started as a bodyguard and now runs one of yes. my dad's hotels. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's the plot of yes. Godfather 2. Oh, uh, yes. I mean, I, I looked up these two guys. I couldn't find much on them besides that Brian Boudreaux, who is the other guy, looks like a mustache grew a person. That's the only <laughs> other thing I could say about these people. But Donnie Jr. writes here that his father promoted people based on their character, street smarts, and work ethic, which is, you know, intelligence for dumb people. Uh, not, not criticizing people who don't have educations, but there's a difference between having street smarts and telling everyone that you have street smarts, okay? People who tell you that they have street smarts are the dumbest fucking people uh, th- I've ever th- met. Thanks to John Mulaney, now I can't read street smarts without hearing it in the street smarts <laughs> voice that he does. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he, he he's quoting himself there from his Republican yeah. National Convention speech. Yeah, oh, he loves to, likes to do. He's the only person in this book he doesn't paraphrase. Exactly, exactly. But he calls them doctorates in common sense. Shut and so this up. is the type of people we're supposed to be informed that Donald Trump hires. To which I just have to say, Paul Manafort, Michael Cohen, <laughs> Scott Pruitt, Rex Tillerson, Omarosa, Steve Bannon, Sean Spicer, Mike Flynn, Reince Priebus, and the mooch. That's all I have to say in response <laughs> to that. Mooch. Remember the mooch? He hates him now. Yes! It's hilarious. <laughs> Isn't it astonishing? That, what was it, 48 hours? The 48 hours of the mooch we had <laughs> were one of the greatest Truly gifts. Blessed. 
one of the greatest gifts that we have ever been given as a society. I honestly, I think there's there's nothing more that can be done for us now. We should just end it. We've had our high point, so that's all we can we can accomplish. Yeah. But he says they were smart guys, brilliant even, but they didn't. These two, uh, Vinny and, and Brian. They didn't have the right degrees or the right acronyms behind their names to get a good start in most businesses. Yeah, I mean, like, if they wanted to open a doctor's office, they need a Ph.D. Yeah. <laughs> somewhere. But I think well, I think, he, to, I to think be fair, after. to be fair to him, I think the the acronym he's looking for is Junior. <laughs> <laughs> You're totally right there. You're totally right. Uh, but he says his dad was different. He saw their talent their work ethic, their street smarts, and he allowed them to run with those qualities. Okay. So when it came time <laughs> for Donnie Jr. to get a job, he figured he would do something with his hands. And then he goes to the the least doing something with yeah. your hands example of that I, you could imagine. I was so confused. He was like, I got a job, and it was parking yachts for the super rich. Like, what? Yes. <laughs> 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 Working the docks... At the marina at his father's Atlantic City Casino. That was the working with his hands that he described. And there was another thing I skipped over, but I do want to mention. He says, by that time, I could tell the sound of a sawzall from a circular saw. Anyone can do that. They're completely different. To be fair, I could hang sheetrock. I can't. Pour concrete. You can't. Pour concrete and get a stripped Phillips head screw out of a wall without much trouble. I'm pretty sure I could do Though that. Though I might forget which fork you were supposed to use with salad at a dinner party, to which the only possible response is it's the salad fork that you use for the salad <laughs> see kevin look I, do I don't sit down for a whole bunch of french haute cuisine meals and even i am aware that there is a Didn't thing called a salad just fork. like last week french i did i meal. did last week yeah. everyone well i don't know if i would call it haute cuisine because it's coco vaughn okay, right which isn't exactly theory. a haute yeah, cuisine right, right. dish uh, it was more of a, a French countryside meal that I did, right? So I did yeah. Coco Vaughn, and Villain. I did I did make ma- I made madeleines, right? I made meringues, a lot. Of, I made some pastries and things. But anyways, my love of cooking aside, uh, yes, it is called the salad fork. I just want to be. I want to. I want to make sure he's aware that it's called a salad fork. <laughs> uh, and all of our listeners, now you are aware. There's a thing called a salad fork. It's, it's the, the one, one you on eat the salad outside. With. Yeah. Of the two forks that are on your table, it's the one on the outside. <laughs> There are often more than two forks, depending on how fancy a dinner is. Well, if you're having oysters, you'll have an oyster fork, right? Or you'll have an appetizer fork if you're eating a particular type of appetizer that needs a fork. God damn it. You might have a fish fork. (sighs) If chefs made more money, I'd be a chef, honestly. Yeah. (laughs) I like to cook, man. I like to cook. Uh, So we then talk about the next job he took after that. So this this is his other moment when he gets so close, if you'll just permit me for a second. He was yes, yes. <laughs> He was like, "Oh, I used to make hundreds of dollars in tips, and now I'm up here doing a real job and I'm making less money." Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All the people out there doing real jobs instead of rich person bullshit like you were doing are making almost no money, and it's not fair. They yeah. should be making a lot more money. This is why we need unions and all of that kind of stuff <laughs> to represent these people when they can't just go to their dad and ask for a raise. Which is exactly yes. what he does. And then he writes a one-act play that is half a page long. <laughs> Which we're going to read. We're going to get to it. We're not quite there yet. We're going to get to it. We're going to do a reading of the one-act play. We okay. absolutely are. But first, we have to mention that what this job is that he's talking about is apparently his... For, for 
At the most. He did this at the most for three weeks. I guarantee you. He didn't spend a whole fucking summer even doing this. Because remember, he's still talking about being a teenager, right? This is when he was working in between school semesters, right? So this is his summer, what he's doing. And I guarantee you he did not spend the whole summer doing this. But what he did, he says, was clearing land for development. So he was out there apparently cutting down trees, I guess, maybe running dozers, doing small things. When a guy says, move that pile of dirt out of here, I don't know. But this is what he was doing, which he, he then, as you said, talks about how he was making much less money than he was working on the docks. He wasn't making any tips, and he was getting sweaty and dirty every day, as he points out very clearly in this chapter. Yeah, which is just the lives and, of those people that he was working with. Right, and he, he tries to point out here, because like I said, the whole point of this chapter is to say that Donald Trump Jr. is a down-home, blue-collar guy, Duck Dynasty, other buzzwords, and... What he says here is that he he wasn't like all the other spoiled rich kids who grew up in New York City with rich parents who went to uh, limousine, took limousines to school and went partying in the New York clubs. And then in a parenthetical says, well, I did do that, right? So like everything I just said before that, that I didn't do that is is wrong. (laughs) Yeah, don't think I'm uncool. I did all that cool stuff. I did all the cool rich guy stuff. Just I also did the poor person stuff too. And then he, he, again, he says the same D10 thing again. He says, to this day, Eric and I are probably the only sons of a billionaire who could parallel park a Caterpillar D10 in Manhattan if we had to. Why which would Which is you where have I realized to? two things. I realized two things. One, the D10 is the only tractor he can name. And two, uh, he's giving a stump speech and he has forgotten his place and gone back and restarted the same <laughs> point he gave earlier. Yep. So we get to the one-act play where he talks about, yes, he realized he was making a lot less money and he was, you know, getting covered in mud and sawdust and decided that after dinner with his father that weekend, which unlike all the people he was working with, I'm sure, was at a five-star restaurant in downtown Manhattan, whereas all those guys were going to the Texas Roadhouse for dinner, uh, he had this conversation with his father. And, And Benedict, would you like to be Don Jr. or Donald? Uh... I don't mind. You can pick as as main. Okay, host. well, I, I'll be I'll be Donald, who is written as Dad in the script here. Okay, right, so let Dad. me let me just introduce the scene here. Interior dinner table. This is Donald all J. written Trump in the, the in the. This isn't yes. Kevin. This is this is. No, no, I'm not making up a word here. Uh, enter Don Jr. with very long hair, probably wearing cargo shorts and a camouflage T-shirt. <laughs> right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Dad, Can you do your best American Dad, accent? I realize that even though I'm doing more work on the job site, you're paying me way less money for it. Why didn't I get a raise? Well, you didn't ask for more money, so I didn't give you more money. That's how the world works. Why would I give you more money than you're willing to work for? That would make me an idiot. I, uh... Why would you do that? You think people are going to give you more money just because you're a nice guy? They're not, Donnie. Anything you want, you have to go out and get it. Nothing is going to be handed to you. Nothing. You have to earn it before you ask for it. Always remember, you don't get anything you don't ask for. Now go to your room while I rub mashed potatoes all over your that's all it. over your mail order, mommy. That, that's, yeah, <laughs> that, that is not, that last sentence is not in the play. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, no, you know, but it is what happened well, okay, in real life fine. at the end of that conversation. Sure. Yes. Potentially. We, we all know that Donald Trump clearly has a food fetish, right? I, if there was one fetish we were going to ascribe to Donald Trump, it is clearly a food fetish. Sure. Um, moving on. <laughs> Not everyone I love can making just... you uncomfortable on this yeah, show. No, I do. No, thank you. Uh, <laughs> 
not everyone can just ask for more money because most people ask for more money. They get told no and then get labeled as a troublemaker mm-hmm. and, found, and it, a reason to fire them is found before they realize yeah, their also, true value in the workplace. The rest of the guys on that work site don't get to have dinner with daddy, the owner. Yeah. So they can't true. ask for more money. Not easily, certainly. <laughs> right. And so we, we get now the lessons that Donnie Jr. learned from that conversation. There's three lessons, he says. Number one. You shouldn't expect to get anything in life that you didn't work for. Number two, if you don't ask for it, don't expect it. And number three, when someone goes around offering things for free, don't believe them. In most cases, the person is either a liar or an idiot. And then we get one of those parentheticals that you love. Or a leftist, which means they're both. Yeah, it's so fucking great. I hate it. I love. I know you hate the parentheticals are so bad. Right? I don't know what to call them. An aside decency. or a parenthetical. Yeah. At least have the decency to put it in parentheses instead of putting it on its own line in its own paragraph. <laughs> like you think it's the fucking laugh line. Like <laughs> like that's all, folks. It's very porky. Oh, Donnie right? Jr. I just realized Donald Jr. is a stool fucking comedian. He absolutely is. <laughs> He's like rich kids from Connecticut be fucking girls like this, but rich kids from New York be fucking girls like this. Yes. It's absolutely who Donnie Jr. is as a person. I hate those comedians. <laughs> so we get Tell a, us what, about the saying, enormous he another... triplex he grew up in. <laughs> yes, yeah. But we get here an entire paragraph. Parenth- I'm going to keep calling them parentheticals, right? Because they're, they're basically an aside where he steps out of the narrative that he's, he's writing and says something completely unrelated that he thinks is funny or, or whatever it is. So he says, by the way, throughout this book, I'm going to tell you about all the regular Joe things I did, such as hunting, driving heavy construction equipment, and sleeping on my buddy's couches. I know the trigger-happy people on the left will pop a cork and accuse me of trying to be somebody I'm not. To be honest, I don't give a crap what they think, but I don't want to give you, my faithful readers, the wrong impression. Though I did spend a lot of my childhood in the woods in Czechoslovakia, I did learn how to drive one of my dad's caterpillars. The D10. I did my fair share... I did one of my fair share of rich kid stuff too. Oh Christ! Yeah. It's not great. And it's... then he talks about how he grew up rich and kind of negates everything he said about being yeah. poor and loving the poor. Yeah, and child abuse. And he says that his mom beat the crap out of him and broke a wooden spoon on his ass. That's later, I think. No. Oh no, no, it's there. no. That's the very next oh, that page. That's the pro- very yeah, next page. I mean, it is technically later. I was. Not technically wrong. You know how I love to be right By on the way, technicalities. Did, so, right, you and I grew up in, I think, the last, at least in the United States, I don't know how it was in the UK, right, but the last sort of era where it was sort of normal to spank your kids. Now, I, I never got beaten, right? I was never yeah. beaten. But I was spanked pretty regularly. And the wooden spoon was definitely brought out in my childhood, right? So, and, and you never had the wooden spoon. You're shaking your head. Not you never had the wooden no, spoon. No, no, not for me. Not. Okay, you have much kinder parents than I do. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, they raised me right somehow. But yes, the wooden spoon definitely came out uh, uh, in my household. That was sort no. of the threat, was I'm going to go get the wooden spoon. That's that when was you ran away. the threat. Fuck. That's when, I'm so sorry, Mom. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it. I'm never going to do it again. I promise I'm never going to do it again. I'll never do it. Please don't get the wooden spoon. Word for word, I swear to God, I, I remember, <laughs> I remember that speech. I'm, I'm sure you do. I never had to give that speech, fortunately. Yes, I, and I, so we learn here. Right? I had the please don't tell dad. That's all I. 
Oh, I, I had that too, right? Yeah. Right, because dad, dad was going to be home in about 45 minutes. Please don't tell dad, mom. Please, I don't, I don't want to tell dad. Please don't tell <laughs> dad. Oh, childhood. Oh, trauma. It's great. <laughs> oh, uh, therapy so- <laughs> sessions live on air. <laughs> that is what this show is for us, isn't Lots it? Uh, so we get here him backtracking on basically the entire chapter leading up to this point, right? This whole chapter, he's been talking about how he's blue collar and he doesn't do all that stuff them rich kids do. And then he says, most mornings I was driven to private school and we had nannies. And oh, by the way, in the winter, we would go to a place called Mar-a-Lago. Great. You little rich bitch. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. it. And yeah, so he talks about whatever, the great deal that Trump got to get Mar-a-Lago, which is, you know, sure. Yeah, buying it for $7 million. Fine, whatever. Um, There is the, the key line in here that I think is more telling than he thinks it is where he talks mm-hmm. about without his solid gold image i doubt there would be trop- trump properties all over the globe today mm-hmm. which basically is acknowledging the fact that the trump wealth is built on a lie or on an exaggeration yeah. of wealth which is right. you know I mean, fair like, enough just looking like, at... that 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 is enough like enough wealth is built in that way that they take away the exterior and the interior crumbles but you know. Right. I mean, looking at, at in the Trump era, right, there have been multiple Donald Trump documentaries and docu-series on Netflix and HBO and all those places, right? And there's one lady who I can't remember her name, but it's the lady who actually was in charge of building Trump Tower. Uh, and so, I can't remember her name, but uh, she talks about on these docu-series how, like, they wanted to spend all the money on the exterior and didn't give a fuck about the inside. Everything was done cheap. It was all garbage. It was all trash. Like, that's the Donald Trump brand. Flashy and shiny on the exterior, but really a garbage pile. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, just thought I'd say So that. we next get... Uh, a couple pages of name dropping. Uh, pretty, pretty bad name dropping yeah, too. Like, when you think about I it, in used retrospect. To be, I was friends with Michael Jackson as a kid. Is not necessarily <laughs> that you know. I, I, and we're not going to throw out anything here. But that's probably not the sort of thing you want to put you put in your book in the year of our Lord twenty nineteen. Like, yes, yeah, I, I felt that way as well. Yeah, right? We can and we can gloss over it, but that's you know because look, we should acknowledge that it's in there. Like. <laughs> He, he starts off this section saying, I felt more comfortable in the rafters than down with the people in the living room. I didn't take to the opulent lifestyle the way some children of billionaires do. And then spends the rest of this section name-dropping all the famous people that he became friends with. Herschel Walker, who was a Heisman Trophy winner, played in the NFL for years and years. Uh, and for Donald Trump's failed uh, UFL team, the New Jersey Generals. Uh, and then, yes, you're right. The, and I think the Michael Jackson portion was pre- highlighted pretty well in the media when this book came out. I think it got a, a lot yeah, of talk. Yeah, so I think we need to say about too how, much about it. Well, because there's the beyond like the, there's this whole thing about how his dad gave away his Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game to Michael Jackson uh, because they were playing it together on Nintendo and Michael Jackson really liked it. So apparently Don Sr. said, take it, which is, is strange. Hilarious. But uh, <laughs> we get... The line, which this is the line that I think that everyone heard just from news stories when this came out, which was, my experience with Michael does not include any of the things he's been accused of. Oh, and by the way, given all the things my father has been called, particularly a racist, it sure sounds odd that he'd let his son vacation with a black man or hang out with Michael Jackson, doesn't it? If he's racist, he's sure not very good at it. Yeah, I think, that. honestly, the less said about that, the better. I think we can let that quote speak for itself. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
Yes. And the next person we get, the next person we get is Prince Charles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He made him a meringue cookie, which I'm sure Prince Charles yes. loved. I'm sure Prince Charles was like, and what do you do? Oh, you're one of the chefs. Oh, very good. Very good. <laughs> Oh, you're one of the little people. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Oh, it's just fantastic. I, I love that so much that we get this stampede through people who are just all just strange or weird or terrible, like Prince Charles is, uh, and, and Michael Jackson, as we now know. Uh, and and just, just no self-awareness whatsoever of Donald Trump Jr. as he's writing this section uh, uh, just trying to say how he's so normal and just, uh, it's so amazing to me. It really is. But we get back to, because as we learned in the, the previous chapters, if you listen to chapters one through three already, that basically these first couple of chapters uh, are an erotic love story between a boy and his grandfather. <laughs> uh, we, we learned that particularly hard last week. Uh, and we get back to grandfather here. And how grandfather would be uh, hanging out with him, and they'd go fishing, and grandfather would just be out there with his fishing pole chain-smoking. And he could always count on him to remind him of what really mattered in life. And he recounts a story of how when he was a child, he went out camping on their estate in Greenwich. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, he literally says, 300 yards from the main house. The main house, implying there was there another was another house. house. Yeah. But surely there is. <laughs> They're not allowed to call it slave quarters anymore, so they call it servants' quarters. That's what it is. Uh, although the, the working conditions are certainly similar, I'm sure. And we get to the death of his grandfather, which is the end of the love story. And I, I'm interested to see who we're going to have uh, introduced as the, the next love interest. I, I think Prince Charles is, is a possibility <laughs> there. Uh, I'm just, I'm excited to see where the author goes with that. Uh, that that's one thing that I am I am uh, loving to this. But he talks about how at that time when his grandfather dies, his parents were going through a divorce, and this is yes that divorce, the divorce with the screaming fight on the slopes of Aspen, Colorado. Oh, I missed that I divorce. Missed this, I think. The the cheating on his first wife with his second wife, not gotcha. to be confused with the cheating on his second wife with lots of other women, or the cheating on his current wife with multiple paid porn stars. Uh, Important not to confuse At least one paid porn star. We don't know. Uh, we can be pretty sure. We can be pretty sure that there are others out there. Uh, well, at the very least, other women, yeah. right? Because uh, one of them was a, a Playboy model. I don't know if that counts as a porn star. Mm, debatable. We can, anyway. we can differ. We can differ. It's debatable. And so he, he talks about how this was, the, it was playing out on the tabloids, and the liberal media was just so evil and so terrible. But the other good thing that came out of this time was boarding school. Oh, yeah, and getting and, the shit kicked out of himself at boarding school. That was... <laughs> yes, yes. And he actually writes about how when he got dropped off at boarding school, they went to a Taco Bell and his mother ordered a glass of Chardonnay. What do they do if that happens? Like, they don't just have Chardonnay at the Taco Bell. If they're like... Oh, the 17-year-old se working the counter goes, Who the fuck you? <laughs> it's like, that's what happens. Who the fuck you think you are? Fucking... They don't have, okay, they, I will say, I do have to throw in this, this aside here, right? Because uh, when I was at college at UC Berkeley, we had uh, what they call a Taco Bell cantina oh. open in Berkeley. 
which is basically Taco Bell trying to get in on the uh, fast casual dining market I see, I see. where they have they sell alcohol at Taco Bell now and I oh, believe really? they had like beer and wine and they might have had some coffee. I'm sure remember. this did not exist at the time though no that was gonna be my <laughs> I'm a hundred percent sure it did not exist at that time and uh, look it just goes to right the absolute ignorance of these people right it's just it's just spectacular and at least he has the self-awareness to note how strange that was and how terrible that is for a kid going off to school trying to fit in. So at least he has that tiny bit of awareness that he realizes his mom ordering Chardonnay at Taco Bell was fucking weird. <laughs> yeah. And but, then we get... Yeah, carry on. I know I, I mentioned Prince Charles as the next love interest, but we have actually... I forgot that we had actually been introduced the next love interest in this story, which is Mr. McAlpin, who I believe was the dean of the boarding school where he was going... Uh, who, who, Don Jr. writes, told him to meet him in the parking lot the next morning at 6 a.m. and dress warmly. <laughs> yeah, it's a little weird. Which, he, yeah, yeah. He notes, that might not fly in today's world of helicopter parenting, but I thought it was awesome. So Donald Trump's Jr.'s note out there to all the children of the world is this, if a man asks you to meet in a strange place at a strange time and dress in a particular way, you should do it. Yeah, that is his. That's that what we've learned from the chapter. We would like to say, please don't do that. <laughs> I would say. I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of in favor of it. Well, you can do whatever uh, you want. You're a grown-ass man. I've had a lot of fun times right. in parking lots Let's at 6 a.m. on a weekend. Let's keep going. Yes. So this school that he went to, the boarding school, is called the Hill School, which, of course, is one of the places where just wealthy, rich brats go and, and learn to be wealthy, rich brats. No surprise there that he would go to something like this, but he does talk about how he had terrible grades. Oh, this is hilarious. His... I love this. <laughs> Carry on. Yes, his freshman year, how he was an average student, and his father sat him down and gave him a talk. And we, you know, we all understand what that is, the talk, right? That's just a normal thing. And his dad apparently said to him, these grades are fine if you want to be average. Oof. And Don and Jr. took that, that to heart. And he was average for the rest of his life. <laughs> yes. Based on that alone, we know, of course, he went back and started getting straight A's, or as he puts it, nearly straight A's. Yeah, what does that uh, and mean? And rose to the top of the GPA rankings in his class, and that's why he got into Wharton. Has nothing to do with the millions of dollars that his dad donated to Wharton. Has nothing to do with that. It was the grades. He, it, it's really funny that he admits it, and then he goes, I know that even if I wasn't my father's son, I... I had the grades, grades to get into Wharton. I know that in my heart. Like, that is what you say when you are trying to make a case for something that there is no evidence for. In my he, heart He also tries heart. to point out, he also tries to point out, well, the donations to Wharton didn't come until after I had gotten in. So, yeah, that's like how a quid pro quo works, Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we, now we, you understand. They don't get the money until they let you in. Like, that's how the deal was set up. You and Jared Kushner both know how this works. <laughs> <laughs> well, we get another uh, another example of him trying to explain how going to this elite private prep school that I'm sure cost a lot of money taught him about being a normal person, about being a down-home, blue-collar guy because he had local friends, he dated local girls, and after a while... Oh, actually, I think now he's talking about Warden. I can't tell. He's not very clear. I think it is. Uh, I think it is Warden. Yes, and after a while, he started feeling as though he was more from Pennsylvania than from New York City, and he was proud of it. 
And then we get a couple pages of whining about NAFTA and the USMCA. Which are the same thing, basically. Uh, yeah, I, I really, I don't know why there's not more reporting on how basically they found and replaced in NAFTA to create the USMCA. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like copying over text. Like, literally, that's what they fucking did. But we get complaining about USMCA because, of course, as a down-home local guy, blue-collar guy, he understands that NAFTA was killing our farmers and killing our jobs. and ki- They took our jobs. And uh, he says uh, he's going to talk about it later, later in this chapter, about being a blue-collar billionaire, which is... Not at all what he is, but he understands workers and would never think of them as pawns in trade deals that literally take away their jobs. Like, you know, he would never, never ever. have an outrageous tariff program mm-hmm. that would do terrible damage to, the to farmers market, and result, yeah. in, result in having to shell out billions of dollars in, in money just to keep them afloat because of the terrible, terrible damage he's doing to their industry. Don't believe it, and he tells us. Don't be swayed by the liberal media. Also, read, read at real Donald Trump and at Donald Trump Jr.'s tweets. They're the unfiltered truth. Yeah, I thought this was him quoting someone else. Like, and I had to look back and see if there were quotation marks, and there just aren't. This is just him doing a weird no. parenthetical, plugging his own channels. Yeah, which we're not about. He wants more, but followers. you're the president's son. You should be <laughs> yeah, above follow that. Follow us on Twitter at nygbc. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, NYGBC pod on Twitter. Follow us. Uh, but he gets, he has one, one moment here where he is so, so close to self-awareness and perfect clarity where he says, but sound bites are not policy. Sound bites do not help the American worker. Sound bites do not bring back jobs. So close to self-awareness. <laughs> that so is correct. amazingly close to self-awareness. That is all and, right. And we are now at the last paragraph of the book, or not the book, I wish it was the book of the chapter, which as always, I will read in its entirety, which goes, on the campaign trail, my father promised American workers that one of the first things he would do as president would be to renegotiate trade deals that ignored their needs. That promise was the reason he won Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan, a feat not accomplished since Ronald Reagan in 1980. I've been Donald J. Trump's son for 41 years and counting, and I endorse this message, and I can tell you with complete confidence he will never stop fighting for the American worker. He will never give in to the Democrats at the expense of the American worker. He will bring the American dream back to our shores. End chapter. Can I, can I just say something here? Yes, you wanted to say something. The, I heard the key premise of that paragraph is that promise was the reason he won Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Mich- Michigan, a feat not accomplished since Ronald Reagan in 1980. Would you care to hazard a guess? Whether Barack Obama won those three states in 2012, <laughs> no, or, but he he means by a he means by a Republican. Yeah, but he that's not what he says. That's not what he says. 2008, 2004, uh, John Kerry won all those states. 2000, Al Gore won all those states. 1996, Bill Clinton won all those states. 1992. I'll give him the credit. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he was referring to Republicans. Yeah, but he didn't states. say that. And he's like, he oh. He didn't say it. It's... My, my father is the great Are we going to quibble here over the, he... how poorly written this book is? No, Are we yeah, going to quibble well, over how poorly written this book is? That's true. But the, the point being... My father is the great hope for America's left behind. But funnily enough, the Democrats aren't. Like, oh, my Donald Trump is the only person that's ever off- offered the left behind a hope because he won these three states. The argument falls apart as soon as you look at the fact that that's not true. Yes. Yes. Well, no, we all we know they were they were stupid until 2016, of course. 
I think that has to be the assumption that underlies Republican arguments from that sort of thing. They were deluded. They were lied to by the Democrats. But anyways, as we know, we learned nothing from this chapter. Uh, I think I'm going to have to say that after every single chapter. I really think that's going to be a a common theme. But Benedict, I did want to ask you a question about this chapter. And I wanted to ask you, what song was playing in Donald Trump Jr.'s head as he wrote this chapter? (laughs) Uh, Can only be blinded by the light, I think. Reflecting off the solid gold living room. <laughs> Dressed up like a douche, yes. Like a douche, you know the rumor in the night. Yep. Oh, we have to pay royalties now. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's it. That's my... My, and my answer was going to be... Uh, uh, is going to be Smash Mouth. Somebody <laughs> once told me the world... Yeah, that's the only possible... I, have, I, have I a, think that song I plays in a loop. I have a joke, which you won't get. There's for, for fans of Succession, and it is the Kendall Roy rap from the second season of All right. One of our listeners just laughed, uh, but I've never seen that show, so I have no idea. uh, I will see that show when you read Watchmen. We'll make that deal. When you finally read Watchmen, I'll watch Secession. How's that sound? Deal, deal. Succession. All right. So until, whatever it's called, until next time, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you just can't get enough of us, remember, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC and become a patron for as little as $2 an episode for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, drawings to win our copies of the books we read, and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons, the fantastic Taru Takanen, Andrew Jenko, Becky Scott Fairley, Skeptical Seventh, Emily Burke, and Brusque Platypus. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons, and we look forward to having more patrons join you in the future. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find us at NYGBCPod. And uh, we will have a Facebook page coming soon. I haven't had time to create it yet, so that's why it's not there yet. Comments, corrections, and other harassing remarks can be sent to us by email at kevinandbenedict at gmail.com. That is it for this week's episode of the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast. We'll be back in two weeks. Goodbye. Bye. Grandmother's Book Club Podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.